Did you know that every major diaper company either financially or vocally supports abortion? If that appalls you and you're looking to support a baby brand that aligns with your pro-life, pro-family views, then every life is your solution. Every life firmly believes that regardless of where someone is from, what they look like, or whether they were planned or unplanned, every baby is a miracle from God worthy of love, protection, and celebration. Every Life offers high-performing, supremely soft, premium diapers and wipes delivered right to your doorstep. Their diapers are crafted without fragrances, dyes, lotions, latex, parabens, or phthalates. And you can feel good knowing that every purchase with Every Life contributes to changing lives through their support of pro-life organizations and pregnancy resource centers. Every Life is not just changing diapers, they're changing lives. Visit everylife.com to learn more. That's everylife.com. And don't forget to use promo code Duffy10 for an exclusive 10% discount on your first order today. Hey, everyone. Welcome to From the Kitchen Table. I'm your host, Sean Duffy, along with my co-host for the podcast, but also my partner in life, Rachel Campos Duffy. Thank you, Sean. So glad to have all of you at our kitchen table today. And boy, we have a really been a heavy week, hasn't it, Sean? It's been a really heavy week. It's been a heavy week. And I think everyone's trying to figure out this situation in Uvalde, and it's just one too many of these incidents that have happened. It's just so heartbreaking. And as we've heard our politicians talk about what they think this, the problem is and what the solutions are, you and I have been pretty adamant. Um, and we've been pretty vocal all week on TV talking about how we think there's something troubling our culture, something about young men and, and, and the, the state of childhood and young adulthood for young men. What is happening there? We thought we need to bring in an expert. And boy, did we find the most amazing expert. Her name is Dr. Helen Smith. Um, she is a forensic psychiatrist from Knoxville, Tennessee. She specializes, Sean, in violent children and adults. I don't normally, you know, run through everyone's bio, but I think it's important in this topic to really give just for our audience to understand just how steep she is in this subject. Um, she wrote a book called The Scarred Heart, Understanding and Identifying Kids Who Kill. She also wrote and produced a documentary. It's called Six, and it's about a family who was murdered in Tennessee by a group of teens. So this is someone who really studied this subject. Um, I am so honored to have on our show to help us break all this down and help us come to an understanding of what is happening in our culture. Um, Dr. Helen Smith. Um, Dr. Helen Smith, welcome to our kitchen table. Thank you so much, Rachel and Sean, for having me on today. This is such an important topic. And I did just want to clarify, um, I am a psych forensic psychologist, not a psychiatrist. Um, oh, boy. Yes. Okay. Well, not that it matters, but just letting people know. Doctor, not to make a joke, but the, do, does the laity know the difference between the two? Some, I, uh, no, the <laughs> not <laughs> really. I mean, people just call everybody, you know, from a therapist to whatever, a psychologist. We do testing and evaluation which is part of what helps us understand a little bit deeper into what is really going on with people. Psychiatrists tend to, um, they do therapy, but they also prescribe medication. So um, what we have as psychologists is more methods to evaluate people and do, you know, do testing and understand a little bit more subconsciously what's happening to people. Um, just so you know, Dr. Sean is a former prosecutor. So he uh, dealt with people who helped prepare people for court. Uh, okay. appearances and, and things and like sometimes that. Sometimes I get corrected on the stand about right expert witness and that sort of thing. <laughs> Sorry, this is a minor <laughs> issue, but I just no. want to clarify. I no, I, I think it's that. good. So listen, I mean, I don't think this situation that happened in Uvalde could be any worse. I mean, it's just so horrific. What goes through your mind when you, you know, when you came upon, you know, this information and who the killer was, this young man, um, 18 year old, years old who went into the school with a gun, who just shot his grandmother and then came to the school and did this unspeakable act. I guess I look at it and I say, I'm not surprised. And I guess what surprises me as a forensic psychologist is that, that it does not happen more often. I'm amazed at how much self-control, unfortunately, so many of these kids have and how many depressed young men are out there who never do anything. And those are the people we need to reach. 
But what I want to say is people don't really understand this. And I've been reading this morning about, you know, different people with their take on what's happening. For example, I'll read something called The Angry Young Man about how these men are just misogynistic young men who don't, you know, who just are out of control. And that's the very, the very act of saying that is what drives some of these young people to do things. First of all, I wrote a book uh, in 2013 called Men on Strike. It's why men in our society are treated politically and socially as pariahs. Boys in our society are treated like second-class citizens and everybody treat it, says to them, you are privileged and nobody will help or reach out to them. I spent many years in my practice. I've been practicing uh, literally since, gosh, the 80s. Um, and I've seen so many young men and, and middle-aged men and older in my practice. And all of them are very similar. I've dealt with young men like this and, you know, who haven't gone on to unspeakable acts. And the reason they don't is that somebody somewhere saw what was happening and reached out. And I'm not saying that people don't reach out to these kids. They do in ways that don't really matter. But if you see the commonality, um, one of the commonalities I really want to point out is, is that none of these kids or a huge proportion of them have no father. And I think in our society, our political class has driven this father out of our families. Or if they're in the family, they have a very peripheral role. Now, I wouldn't say that about Sean. I mean, be that you have nine kids and that <laughs> you've got this hands-on day. You know, you've got... So, you know, I, I think the your kids are probably in great condition because they've got a great dad, but uh, this child did not have that. Uh, we don't really hear anything about the dad. I know I saw something about there was um, the mother. Yeah, the there was mother. a mother who is on drugs, very common. Um, there's a grandmother who tries to reach out and help. And usually the person who reaches out and tries to help the kid is kind of the one that sometimes will get injured. Uh, the other thing I want to point out is that this kid, uh, they'll, they'll say, oh, you know, there's no mental health issues. Uh, you know, of course there were. This kid was going around town shooting people with a BB gun. That's very serious. And what I find um, in my practice has been that prior to doing these types of things, if you look back many years, you will find that these kids are always committing low-level crimes um, that nobody does anything about. In our society, there's no repercussions. There's no, people don't reach out and say, you know what, that's terrible. You don't shoot people with a BB gun. We're gonna take consequences against you. Nobody does that. Can I, can I stop for a second there? Because I, that's, it's such an interesting point that you brought up because when I read the story, the story of this young man, we don't know a lot about Salvador Ramos, the 18 year old who committed this crime, but the little bit that I knew I, I did hear, I could see he was reaching out for that. These were signs that he was committing these, as you call them, low, low level crimes or not so low level with the BB gun. Yeah. That's, that's dangerous. Um, but that he was reaching out. I also thought it was interesting that he went on social media and he he put out the message, I'm going to do this. He wants to be stopped. And by the way, the person he sent it to was somebody he didn't even know very well in in Los Angeles, which shows me that he probably doesn't have very close relationships. Um, the people we worked with. Or if he has any relationships that are close, the people are not going to do anything to help him. He felt helpless. He felt there was nobody out there. And he's just laughing. And in fact, if you actually look at what he did, um, there was a friend he had who moved away again. You know, um, there was a, a another boy his age who was his friend and the friend moved away. And so he probably felt doubly like there was nobody for him. And he had told his his friend had seen him one day and he cut up his face and cutting is a very common, um, a lot of teens cut, believe it or not. I mean, something like 25. To Why 50%. do they do that? Um, they do that for various reasons. A boy like that would do it as a cry for help. They do it because it releases endorphins. It makes them feel like somebody, at least I can feel something. And also for him, I imagine just looking at him personally, I think for him, it may have meant, and again, I haven't evaluated him obviously, or ever talked to him, but I think for him personally, it meant that he, he wanted somebody to see how desperate he was. He was so desperate, he was willing to cut his own face, but nobody really noticed, nor did they care. And he kind of laughed it off, but he was really looking for help. And this is very common for boys because they don't know how to ask for help. Girls often try to attempt suicide and a, a suicide attempt is a cry for help. 
but boys reach out in different ways and it's often in violence and their last this last act was his last his last reach for help and it was obvious that nobody was going to give it to him i even read something about um another person who he had reached out to he wanted to hear her voice she said he had asked her if she was a gaming friend and again you know i i don't blame her why would you want to share your voice or get on the phone with somebody like who is obviously unstable of course not but it does show that he was reaching out trying to like get some human connection like if there was somebody who could i could talk to and i'm not saying that would have put a total stop to it but this boy needed mental health and nobody cares about our boys nobody at the schools care nobody i mean people do not care they think boys are fine we are told it's only girls who need help and our boys are dismissed and as long as that's going to keep happening and we're going to keep denigrating boys in our society and men we will continue to see these act and it is amazing they are as few as they are i do want to point out that this year in 2021 there have been 61 uh, of these types of uh mass killings um and it's increased and i believe that's because the pandemic is isolating these boys further um they don't have any social skills their social skills are are you know it's another it's another casualty of this pandemic where we've locked everybody down and left these boys to fend for themselves and it's it's a tragedy i mean for us and for them and i you know it when i when i look at this i just say well it's it's very difficult to know exactly where to start because so Dr. there's go ahead I, I, do, i think this is a this is a crisis moment um yes. maybe this crisis has been burning for 10 years 20 years it is but it's we're at a crisis time and i think you see everybody and i was in politics for for almost 10 years i was in the congress everyone comes right. out with their you know rifle shot excuse that pun um um uh idea on how we fix this but i think if we're really honest we have to dig deep to go what is happening with young men in america rachel and i Uh, as some of our kids were graduating we noticed that at, at graduation all the girls got honors and none of the boys were getting honors uh, some right. of the, some of the, you look at the grades girls are excelling boys are not and it's right. not that, going to more college more than boys are yes. not that we don't want girls to succeed but we don't want girls to succeed at the expense of boys we want all kids to succeed we right. do and parents do but the society when i say the society the political class that we have right now it is an advantage to them to have boys fail and what we're doing is a minor number of people mostly why you know um feminist type women and i'm not saying they're totally to blame but they're part of the issue and they are hostile towards our young men the society is hostile towards our young men and until people override that political class that sees our young men as expendable and sees them as pariahs um just listen around you and look around you and you will see evidence of this everywhere. everywhere i have no problem with whenever i go anywhere i will hear people just say derogatory things about boys about men it's just very common and is don't don't women want to have strong boys don't they want someone to be able to marry don't they want a healthy man they want to say that they do and yes they do but they are not willing if you actually look around you i talk about this in my book men on strike it's a book about why men don't want to get married anymore it is because women will men are being asked now to provide everything and to lose everything they are the ones who are to be responsible in marriage um it would women say they want a strong man and they do until that man does anything that crosses them and then they're sort of like okay the kids are mine the the house is mine um i think men know in this society that they really don't have any rights i always ask people to go on men are so privileged and i'll say name me one reproductive right a man has N not yet have i ever had anybody to name that um men don't really have i mean men really don't have a whole lot of um rights especially in the home and again going back to this young man he just didn't really have anywhere to turn and he probably doesn't hear any anything that leads him to believe he has any hope for the future and when boys like this become hopeless and depressed they act out angrily they act out they don't it's not you know like a girl might be you know sit home or something but oftentimes with boy it is expressed by anger right and, and they don't have a dad that will come in and fathers in the home teach boys how to express yeah. anger 
correctly. And sadness and all that stuff. I totally agree with you. And by the way, uh, my husband had a, an amazing interview this week with Jack Brewer. Jack Brewer is a man who um, works with young mm -hmm. men. And he's yes. been talking about the lack of, you know, the denigration of masculinity and fatherlessness, fatherlessness and male and toxicity. Yes. But let me let me counter you for just a second here, because in preparation for this interview, I started to go back and look at some of the interviews that Dylan Klebold from uh, Columbine's mom gave. Mm -hmm. and She ended up writing a book. Now, this young man came from a two parent home. Um, and it, it was interesting because when when the Columbine incident happened, at first, the parents said, I don't want to talk about it. And they wanted their privacy and they were mourning their son and trying to grapple with what happened. And I remember uh, as a young mom thinking, uh, I, I want to know what happened there. I, I, she, she, the, the, the Klebolds need to tell us what happened in that home so we can learn from this experience as a culture, as a society. And eventually she did end up writing a book. She did an Oprah interview. What if you, what, what, that was a two-parent home. What was missing there? What's missing just in, because, I mean, I agree with you, the, 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 the fatherlessness is a, is a problem. But it's only one part of the problem. And I think what, what's happening in the culture at large affects everybody, no matter what your family arrangement is. It is. And I'm not saying that it is only fatherless. Uh, they're usually fatherless in 70 or 80% of the time. So sometimes you're going to have, um, a different, you know, and there are so many factors that go into it. It's sort of like a, it is sort of like a cancer where there was one point of failure after the next that failed. People used to think it was just one massive thing in your body with cancer. And now they've learned, you know, one thing after the next. And it's the same with violent kids or boys in this sense that it may not be just the home life. It could be, you know, with Dylan uh, Klebo in the Columbine massacre, um, they were harassed and bullied at school. Bullied. But this and kid was bullied too. This, this uh, yes, and that's another factor that does go into it. Now, is that the only factor? Absolutely not. And but it's a number of things. It's one thing after the next. It's it's I'm being bullied at school. I don't have anywhere to turn. Dad might have taught me how to do something. How to you know? And mom's also on drugs. Mom's on drugs. <laughs> My grandma who doesn't yeah. understand me you know, doesn't understand what's happening. But in in you know in other cases it could be that there's a dad in the home, but the dad doesn't really understand what's happening and doesn't really. We don't encourage fathers to teach kids anymore. Uh, a lot of times dads just tell you don't fight anymore. You know, we're told don't do this, don't do that. But we're never told how to handle things. We children in our society don't have the resilience anymore. I mean, there is no Why? resilience. We don't, uh, we don't teach resilience. People don't, um, you teach everybody in our schools. They're all dummy down with everybody gets a prize unless you're a boy, at which point all the girls stand up and get honors. Um, if you're a boy, you're not, people do not teach children how to be resilient. They teach them that you are the best, you can succeed at anything and you will be anything that you want to be. This all started sort of with the, you know, this, so the whole self-esteem movement. And this started around in the sixties and seventies, and it's been going on ever since. At the same time, we're not allowed to say anything bad about kids. I used to have kids that were, they were really bad. And if they acted up at school, if I would call the school, Part of my, one of my degrees, you know, I have a degree in school in clinical psychology. So I would work at these schools and I'd call the school and maybe I'd work with kids. I'd call the school and I'd try to talk to the teacher about what was going on with the kid. And they'd always tell me the kid was fine, really good, never had a problem. So what I would do is send a test out to the teacher that would have a specific situation, like has the child acted in this manner? When I got it back, it was like, yes, the kid was troublesome. Yes, the kid was having problems, but the teacher was so afraid to say anything People are so afraid of either, you know, they don't want to say anything bad about a child. They're taught not to make waves. And that's how our school systems are today. So it really is a combination of all the things that are going on in the school. And currently with the pandemic, I think people are falling through the cracks. I think this kid felt was falling through the cracks like so many others out there. Nobody even noticed it. He was no longer going to school. Uh, apparently, I guess he was working a job, which he quit. Nobody tried to find out why did he quit, you know. No, no, nope. no, no, one, no one cared about him. We'll be right back with much more after this. Did you know that every major diaper company either financially or vocally supports abortion? If that appalls you and you're looking to support a baby brand that aligns with your pro-life, pro-family views, then every life is your solution. Every life firmly believes that regardless of where someone is from, 
what they look like, or whether they were planned or unplanned. Every baby is a miracle from God, worthy of love, protection, and celebration. Every Life offers high-performing, supremely soft, premium diapers and wipes delivered right to your doorstep. Their diapers are crafted without fragrances, dyes, lotions, latex, parabens, or phthalates. And you can feel good knowing that every purchase with Every Life contributes to changing lives through their support of pro-life organizations and pregnancy resource centers. Every Life is not just changing diapers, they're changing lives. Visit everylife.com to learn more. That's everylife.com. And don't forget to use promo code Duffy10 for an exclusive 10% discount on your first order today. I don't want to go to solutions um, today because I don't think you can think about solutions until you really identify the problems. I don't think we're doing a good job of recognizing the problem that's created in society. And so we've talked about fatherlessness. Right. You just, you've mentioned a couple of times the pandemic. I think this social, social media and the internet have brought boys into this, mm-hmm. to this dark, dark, lonely space. Mm-hmm. I think there's a lack of connection. Then you have society around you that doesn't really value you as much. They value maybe others, but they don't value you. And I think, talk about this as well, not kind of what you see as all the problems before we get to solutions. But I also think there's something about saying that if you're a male, it's this toxic masculinity. Mm-hmm. And frankly, I had boys over at my house this last weekend. They're rambunctious. They yes. jump in the pool and they're diving off the diving board. I'm like, and yes, it's kind of annoying. For, it's for funny because there were girls there too. My the kids had a pool party at the house. So there was different ages. And there uh-huh. were boys and girls and boys. I mean, you just see it right there. They just I, act different. I have a weight room in my house. They're down there pulling out weights and lifting and then going like one thing to the next. But that's that's what boys do. That's not that's not toxic. That's just being a young man. And these are healthy, good kids. But they got a lot of energy and they want to do a lot of things and they're using their bodies. And we demonize that as a as a culture instead of going. You know what? This is this is the other half of the of the human side and we should celebrate. And we medicate it actually. I think there's a lot of medicating of boys who are just Mm -hmm. acting like boys. Am I crazy about that? No, you're not crazy at all. Every, you know, boys all have ADHD and they're given medication at the schools because the schools now there is no- Everyone has ADHD today. Oh, well, the internet makes everybody like that. But if a boy acts up at school and they are rambunctious, like you're saying, a normal boy can certainly be medicated um, because the teachers First of all, the teachers don't have any way to discipline. You're not allowed to discipline. You're not allowed to do anything to a kid. Um, So basically, they just medicate them or give them a video game or tell them to just, you know, sit down, shut up. I mean, you've got all these kids, you know, the iPad kids today. Everybody just hands them an iPad. You're not allowed to spank a child or do anything. I'm not saying that's, you know, a good or bad thing. I'm just saying we don't have any, we have no way to really have any consequences for children too much in our society. You know what else is is happening, doctor, is in addition to what you're saying right there is Mm -hmm. it's not just the teachers. I mean, it used to be when I was a kid, you left your bike in the middle of the road or you, you, you know, threw a ball, you know, through a window. I mean, a neighbor mom could come up and go, Hey, what are you doing? Or get your bike out of the road or, or, you know, like, there was a, you were allowed to, I wouldn't say discipline, but scold or whatever other, sure. another child that was misbehaving. Nowadays, that is so frowned upon. I, I have to, I'm guilty of it too. I would, I could possibly see a kid misbehaving and I would never yeah. interfere because, but, but then again, that's that whole connection, right? If we're a right. community it, and the parents not there to see it happening, who steps in to say, I care enough to tell you that's not the right thing to do. And I think nobody and nobody and they're too. And people, even good people like you are afraid to do it. Nobody will do it because they know either the parents going to attack them or somebody will. And we don't have communities anymore. People move again. You know, people, it's great that people move. It's great that people, you know, travel, do things, but it does present another problem, which is that people don't know each other as well. The communities aren't as tight. This boy did just move, you know, up from another community and he, he probably did feel isolated and you're right we don't have uh we used to have multiple kinds of parents in neighbors and other in teachers and those people aren't really allowed to do anything anymore and people are afraid uh, people are afraid i would you right if you said anything to a kid you're just going to be attacked by other people and you don't know what the repercussions to you would be so people just just like with this kid, everybody just stayed out of his way and let him go on his merry way until he did this. And now everybody's talking about him. And this is what these kids want, because that's how 
this is the only way, if you can see what's happening, this is the only way that they, they can get the attention in their death or in their, this moment, and they, and they think about this moment, you have to understand what's in their mind, they're going through, they're rehearsing, they're thinking about this killing, their, their mind is like, they rehearse it. This kid could have stood in front of the mirror looking at himself, he had on body armor, that's very common. He had different kinds of guns that looked very dangerous. This is, this is just something that is like a rehearsal and it gives him a feeling of power. And this kid um, had said to people, you, you know, when he would get rejected, he'd say, you don't know who I am. What he really meant that I have the ability to hurt you because you are hurting me by ignoring me and by, you know, the fact that my life is so bad and nobody understands and nobody will help me. And this final act was his way of saying, you know, I've given up, I'm hopeless. And I, this is his legacy. And I, and what you have to understand, there are many others like him out there. Now it's very, it's rare. Um, it, it, these shootings seem like they're every day. Um, they're not, they're rare, but they are increasing. And I think that we have to, as a society over like, instead of the politicians running all of this, everybody has to stand up and say, you know, I'm not going to put up with this. I'm not going to give in. And it's hard though, because when you see it, like you said, like when you do see a child in need, you are afraid. And I think that fear is going to keep people from reaching out more um, because yeah. we, we don't know where that will lead. So, so Dr. Take me in, in, into the, almost the mind of um, a young person like this, because just my common sense, which I go to, would say here he's, he's had this conflict with his grandmother. Mm -hmm. And obviously he has a relationship with her. We don't know about his dad. His mom, we, we're not sure about his mom, but the grandmother was in his life. And she was giving him a hard time about not finishing school, right? So she's at least someone who cared about him. That, that wanted him to do well, someone in his, in his life who wanted him to have a future. And in that argument, he sh I believe he shot her in the face or in the head. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So for me, I would think that though you might have run that, that horrific situation through your head numerous times, when you actually do the act of shooting your grandmother, that that might snap you out of it. You might be like kicked out of this psychosis and this dream state that you're in, that you actually shot your grandmother in the head and the blood and the pain and the screaming and all of that that would happen would, would put him on a, on a different plane, but it didn't. I think you have to understand the mindset. You're, if the person is, um, we don't really know what was going through his mind. We don't know that he was psychotic. There's certainly a possibility of that. I don't know, but I would say that, you know, you're being looking at it from a rational side. He's gotten to the point where, that all he knows, these kids want to bring this to a climactic conclusion. And that conclusion is once he opens fire on the grandmother, this, if you actually look back at numerous of these school shootings, the child lashes out and kills the parent, the grandparent. Yeah, that's but, true. Remember with, yeah. uh, with the Sandy Hook mm -hmm. kid, he, he yes. killed his mother first. Right. They and usually do. And because there's the anger towards the her. family, um, they may just represent something. She may represent all of the things the grandmother, like finally here is somebody who, you know, a lot of times too, these kids have a grandiose and at the same time, they feel terrible about themselves. They also have what's, you know, narcissistic tendencies. In many of these kids, when I did my studies in the nineties on some of these kids, um, one of the major things I found was that many of them, especially the school shooters have what we call too high self-esteem where they think they are such a, high level person that they don't understand why people are treating them so badly. So they see the discrepancy between the way they are treated and how they feel about themselves, which is I am the best person and why you don't understand that. And I'm going to get back at you and they will go after and get revenge on people who they think are trying to cut them down to size. So when this boy saw his grandmother going through his head, possibly could be that you know what, she's trying to tell me again why I'm no good. And I, you know, that he had already decided at some point he was going to do this thing with the high school and her, that may have been the impetus, the fight, you know, got him angry. He was going to put it, you know, he was angry at her. We don't know what else was going on. Um, but it, I don't think that, I think that once they start the rampage, I think they're in a mindset. It's almost it's like they've, 
Yeah, they've almost gone into a robotic-like state. That's why it's almost impossible once a kid's gotten into that state. One of the things I've always, you know, I hate to say not enjoy, but like one of the things I've treasured about my work over the years has been, I always hope that people bring those kids before they get to that yes. point so that I can work yes. with them. And that's happened over time. And one of the reasons I got interested is one of the first kids that I saw over 20 something years ago had, was um, brought to me because he was trying to kill the school principal. And at that time, nobody really listened. I mean, I would call the school and try to explain what was happening and they sort of laughed. the boy. He was nine. I mean, nobody was going to really listen at that point, thinking a nine-year-old was, was fine. Um, but later when they saw that he was truly dangerous, they did reach out and they allowed me to come to the school to work with him there and to, you know, to, that they finally understood. So, you know, um, when kids get into that train, they get almost go into a trance like state. It's almost like a predator on the prowl. And that's what you have to understand is able in the to, Were you able to intervene in that situation? Yes. Did this boy get turned around? Absolutely. If yes. You're, if you're able to catch this you know, behavior early enough and show them that someone cares, you can put them on a new path? You can, I'm not saying 100% of the time, you can't save everyone, but yes, in general, you know, if you can intervene and get somebody who can help them, and it's not just that, it's, um, I am a cognitive behavioral psychologist. I think intervening in the, they have a lot of very, very twisted thoughts. And those are the thoughts that you have to kind of work with and say, hey, you know, um, did you ever think about something like this? Or you might say, hmm, and get the person to, you know, the kid to open up. And everyone used to tell me, oh, boys don't talk. They'll never really, they'll come in and you, you won't hear from them. I've never had a boy that didn't talk. They all sit down, they look at you, they kind of size you up and then they start talking and they tell you what's wrong. And when you hear what's wrong, you have a chance. You have a chance to say, hmm, you know, to work with that person, to develop a relationship with that, with that boy. And boys do take a more active role. I mean, you may have to, you know, in my practice, I've gone on walks with boys. I've played games with boys, you know, like, you know, like um, talk to them about video games. Um, you have to kind of get into their world and be interested in their world and talk to them in ways that they can relate to. And sometimes, I think- Sometimes sometimes the boys, like I remember after Adam Lanza happened, mm -hmm. um, I started reading from, you know, articles written by other parents who had very troubled kids who said, listen, I thought my son was going to kill me. And I tried to drop them off at a, you know, mental health place. Like I, I knew I didn't have the skills and the ability to handle this. Mm -hmm. And there's, and this was, by the way, years ago, I don't know how long ago Sandy Hook was, but mm -hmm. mental health services are even more strained now. There's less people in the field. There's more uh -huh. demand for it so there, there's no help uh, there's no help and even years ago before this nobody really wants to help these kids and the problem is that years ago they decided that to deinstitutionalize we don't have any facilities for people if you look around our mental health facility that we had in knoxville tennessee where i'm from has been turned into a park for people to enjoy the people who had mental problems are just kind of were supposedly put out in the community i don't you know has that happened most of them now are homeless and wandering around with mental illness on the streets, which is quite common. Um, so part of that is that mental illness now, we, um, we sort of just don't really do anything about it. That was what my film, uh, the film I wrote, uh, Six, was sort of about how the, uh, the kids in the film, there were six teenagers um, and they all had mental problems. One of them, in fact, was sent to a center where they kept her a few days. They said she was homicidal and dangerous, but they just released her back out, which is very, very common. And uh, this has been going on for, you know, really from the 60s, 70s and 80s. It's been a really long time. Um, so there really isn't any help. I feel for those parents. I worked at juvenile court here in Knoxville and we would, um, we would have parents that would come in and they were desperate. They didn't know where to turn and you can't that's why a lot of these kids do end up in jail or a juvenile facility because there's no mental health services. So the kid does something or the parents just, that, that's the only help they can get is going to jail. And it's the same for adults um, who are mentally ill. A lot of times they end up in, in jail rather than getting the help that they need. Um, people talk a lot about being aware of mental health illness, this, that, and the other thing, but I don't, there's nobody who's actually going to do anything. Um, it, it is, as a sole practitioner, it was very difficult. I'm, you know, part mostly retired now, um, but 
I, I do feel for any parent out there who has a kid who is dangerous because there really is, there isn't a whole lot of help out there. And it's, you know, parents aren't equipped in today's world. Sometimes it's very, very difficult. Um, and so if you're kind of left on your own with a kid, it's, you know, people don't have as many family members and they don't have people who are willing to help. And I think with all of those factors, a lot of kids like this slip through the cracks. And I think we do need a nationwide conversation about all of these things because there are so many various angles that we and, and things that we need to we need to look into from the schools to the communities to the the way that we talk. And and if I have anything to say out there to anyone listening, the first thing I would say is. When you hear somebody denigrating a boy or men in our society, don't just sit back and say, ha ha, don't laugh. It's not funny. It, it's not funny. And, and men may laugh about it because that's kind of what they do. They're taught not to react, and, you know, but it's, it's, it's harmful. It's hurting our boys and it's hurting our men. And I, I wish that people at least would change their own behavior. And then hopefully they're, you know, it might reach a boy like this one day and, and make them feel just a little bit better that they're not toxic that their toxicity, it's that they aren't toxic, that they have value in this world. We'll have more of this conversation after this. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Doctors, I think that's a really good point. And so I, I always talk about politics, right? In politics, everyone wants to, you know, change the president or change this, change the senator and change the congressman, right? Or, or, or keep their congressman in to change the direction of the country. And I always say that the most important thing you can do if you want to change the course of the country is take care of your family. You have the most control over the kids in your home, the kids that you raise, the kids that you love, the kids that you get an education for. And I wonder, again, I, this society is not you. We all don't have the skill set that you have to deal with mental illness and other professionals have. But is there something that every single American can do to say, you know what, if I see a kid who might be, you know, might be excluded. You, you can tell that they're lonely. They don't have any friends. They're a little bullied. They're maybe starting to dress a little bit odd. They're, they're doing things that aren't normal. I think a lot of us are so busy in our lives. Mm -hmm. And we're just trying to prop. I mean, we got so many things going on and we're pulled in so many different directions. It's easier not to say, Hey, I'm going to give some time to this child. But if we all did that, if we all stepped in and said, Hey, we're going to, we're going to participate. We're going to give something to someone who needs it. If more of us did that, not that we can deal with mental illness, but can we see less, a fewer kids slide into these, these states that are so dangerous where, you know, a kid will pick up a gun and shoot a grandmother, but then the place they pick is, I mean, a place where, you know, five, six, seven, eight-year-old kids go to school. I mean, the most horrific place you could pick. That's they do it because they life. feel like, Number one, they could identify with that age. Like I was hurt. You know, this boy is thinking I was hurt at that age. He had a speech impediment and he was hurt at that age. And people choose those targets, which they know will hurt the adults the most. What would hurt an adult more than to destroy a young, their young child? It's, it's the, 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 they are so, they are so hurt themselves that they will do anything they can to hurt other people. And you, you have to that hurt is ultimately a driving force um, and you can see it. And I agree, I mean, it's hard to just, it's, what's hard is to say, you know, just reach out and help. This sounds like a very general thing, but I think one thing I would say, like to be more specific, don't be afraid, you know, I mean, I actually, kids reach, people reach out to me and I can't help everybody. But sometimes you have to put that aside and say, you know what, I'm going to reach out to this one person because just yeah. dealing with this one person can make a difference for that person. And it doesn't have to be someone you think is going to be a school shooter. 
It could just be that kid who's just a sad boy. Yes. You yeah, notice. Yeah, and right? You could be the neighbor it boy. Could that, a, the, you could be a neighbor. It could be your, your even. It could be an aunt or an uncle. It could be someone just steps in and go. They, and I think even the, that, that connection from a man to a man, I think it's specifically, and, and even, but if you have no one, a woman too, but it goes, that connection, I think, can, can be the lifeline that saves a kid that actually goes, you know, someone cares about me and I got someone I can look up to and someone will talk to me and someone cares about, cares about me. And you know what else, Sean, it, it's interesting because, you know, I, I went, I was criticized by the left this week because mm -hmm. I said, there's, and by the way, first of all, doctor, I want to say, I think you're hitting the nail on the head. There, there is something with young men. And there is something about the way we are denigrating men, masculinity, young men, and pushing them down in order to push this agenda, pushing girls up instead of trying to lift both up and realizing that they're, you know, complimentary, that there's no reason. I, I think you're hitting it on the head. There's another aspect that goes outside of your field of, of your, your profession. And I, I still want to bring it up. I brought it up this, this week on television. I got some pushback, but there is something faith, Christianity, Judaism, whatever your faith is, can give people hope. And mm -hmm. a, a society that is based on, on, you know, that has a moral compass that mm -hmm. has very specific things that we know are right and wrong. Um, I, I think, you know, those guardrails, I mean, you talked about this young man doing things and really they were cries for help. He wanted someone to step in and say, that's wrong. Let's talk about why you're doing that. Um, let's get to the root of that. That never happened to him. So not punishing, actually not having consequences and moral guardrails in our society doesn't help people who are committing those crimes. It actually makes them think that it, it, it creates this nihilism, this idea that nothing matters. It's, it, 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 I just think that, you know, we've taken God out of our society. We've taken um, morals and, and, and fatherhood and marriage and family units. And we've taken all of these things out, and then we go, well, where did this kid come from? Well, he is a product of this culture. He is a product of our society on so many levels. The drug addiction, the breakdown of his family, uh, you know, the, the isolation, the social media, and the, the lack of connection, the lack of social skills that so many young people have. I, so many of them can't even speak on a phone call with proper etiquette because They've never been on a phone call. They only text people. Um, they, don't, they don't interact with people very much. Um, and it's not just this kid who was troubled, lots of kids. Um, so I just think there's so much there. But I think it's really helpful, doctor, that you actually identified something that we can change, which is how we speak about men in our society, how we treat them, how we value them. I think it's powerful. We're getting to the end of our podcast, but I want to give you another opportunity, you know, to drive drive your message home and talk a little bit about that book that you you wrote about men basically checking out. Um, well, my book is Men on Strike. It's why men are boycotting marriage, fatherhood, and the American dream, and why it matters. Um, and then I have another book which you can get for free. It is called The Scarred Heart: Understanding and Identifying Kids Who Kill. It's an old book. I wrote it in the '90s. But people are welcome to go. I have a website. It's actually www.violentkids.com for that one. It's a very old website from the 90s. But on that website, you can actually go. You can download the book for free, The Scarred Heart, and you can read it. And you can. it will give you a little bit more understanding of um, in the mindset. It's basically just um, uh, paragraphs from the actual kids themselves. So if you want to get in the mind of some of these kids, like what is happening? What are they thinking? Um, it's just a, a book talking about, um, just from the kid's perspective, just asking kids like why they feel this way, what's happening. And then, um, you, you can read that free online. Um, just quickly, I did want to say, I do agree with your, um, analysis about the moral compass. And I think without, um, I think that people did look to religion or feel that with religion, people felt like there were some consequences. And I do think now people feel that there aren't whether, you know, I'm not saying, you know, there are many people who don't have religion in their lives and I'm a libertarian. I, it's, you know, everybody has the right to believe what they want, but you do have to understand the consequences of that, which are that more and more people feel there is no moral compass. More and more people feel that, you know, they're not going to burn in hell. Nothing's going to happen. Mm -hmm. 
And I think that that definitely gives people a sense of no community, no, no other way out than to act in a manner that, it, you know, we act like there is no right and wrong, but there is. And I think that, you know, if we can drive that home, you know, if you are a parent, I think setting limits and helping your kid understand that, yes, there is right and wrong. And Doctor, what would you say to a parent right now who's listening to this podcast who says, I'm seeing some signs. My kid is cutting or my kid is isolated or my kid is, you know, um, you know, struggling in some way. Or I know uh, I see that neighbor kid and he looks like he's on the wrong path or my friend's son. What what is what is something that somebody who's already would, feeling that right now? What should they do? Well, I mean, obviously, I'm going to tell you the first thing that I would do, especially for your own kid, would be to, um, if you can, get them to a mental health professional. That's easier said than done. People are booked up. There, are, These facilities are overrun, especially with the pandemic and people trying to get in. But I would definitely try. I would ask around. I would ask different friends who have had success with their own kid. Sometimes people will know a psychologist or psychiatrist or a good therapist. Um, there are many social workers, people who deal with this type of, of issue that you could take the child to, um, even through the state. The state has, you know, you're on the state program. Sometimes they'll have, uh, you know, a mental health facility that you could take the child to. If you don't have anything, I think the thing is, don't be afraid to talk to a kid. I think people are terrified. Um, people are terrified if I mention suicide. And one last thing I do want to say before we quit is, these acts are acts of homicide, yes, but first, they're usually, in a good percentage of the time, an act of suicide. And we saw that in this case because basically the kid goes out by suicide by cop. They know they're going to get killed in general. This kid pretty much, I think, knew that they were they were going to be taken out and they were prepared. And um, But I would say pr way prior to this, don't be afraid. Ask specific questions. People think, oh, if I talk about suicide, a kid will do it. No. They're more likely, you know, if you ask a specific question like, hey, you know, I notice you're cutting yourself. What's going on? Um, I notice you seem down. Is something going on? You know, try to don't don't be afraid to maybe ask and open the conversation. And if the kid doesn't want to talk, talk later. But um, don't be afraid. Don't be afraid to, to reach out a little bit and don't be afraid to certainly with your own children to get them help if they need it. Um, it's a good start. And like I said, there are just so many parts of this puzzle. And I think it that really if we is. could put them together, I think we could we could lessen what's happening today. Um, oh, your so. voice is so needed today. I can't tell you. Um, I think all week we've been hearing people on television trying to figure out um, people trying to, you know, people talking to one another, neighbors, um, just trying to wrap our heads around this. And there is something, there is something that is infecting our culture. And I think you've hit on many of them. And I, I hope that, I know you're in semi-retirement, but yeah. I, I hope that uh, yeah. I hope more people are calling on you um, during this time that maybe we could turn this into um, a, a like that critical juncture, that critical moment where we make that turnaround, where we stop talking about the politics around this and start right. getting to the really tough root issues of it, which is cultural, which is family oriented, faith oriented, um, and, and really about human connection. Okay. I agree. And thank you all so much for the opportunity to, to say all of this and, and have the time to do it. So grateful yeah. for you to join us. And again, provide a little bit of common sense as uh, and inside as we try to navigate through this difficult time. Wow, what an incredible conversation with Dr. Smith, Sean. You know, I think uh, so in, in, insightful, and, and again, to have someone so smart who studied this issue so long, and again, and again, the kids that are committing these crimes, she's looked at, and they come back and say, hey, everybody, something's going on with what we're doing with boys. But, Hello, of course, we've changed the way we treat boys in society. Again, they're all, they're, as she mentioned, they're all privileged. They're all toxic. Well, you, you start to treat them like that. Um, and Denigrate you, start, them, you yeah. start to get results that maybe aren't the best. And so, again, it's not that you want to have a, a, a male-centric or a female-centric society. We can all live in harmony. God made men and God made women, and we work really well together. But yeah. we're different, no matter what the left says. <laughs> men yeah. and women are very different. Yeah. And we should respect that love that celebrate that 
Um, and that means celebrating young boys and who they are. And, and again, I, I, I think that's really important. And also, I do think, again, there's a whole mental illness side of this that you need yeah. professionals to deal with. But I do think maybe before kids get to that phase, to that state, right. we can step in. If you, again, if you have a neighbor or kid, you know, like, listen, maybe he's a little weird. Maybe he, you know, he d- does some odd things, you know, and, but no one reaches out to them. No one takes the initiative to go, hey, you know, I'm going to be that, that, that I'm going to be that kid's friend. I mean, he worked at Wendy's and he, you know, quit and it seemed like no one cared. They asked his manager about him. They said he, he hardly talked. How many people at Wendy's tried to befriend this kid? I mean, I listen, I'm not trying to justify any of it. I'm just saying, you know, some of it is just all of us having to, you know, we're all in our phone, we're all in our social media. We're all have these kind of fake relationships. And you see that he had a lot of these fake relationships, these very superficial relationships with people online. online, people he would do gaming with. I mean, we have to get out of this, you know, faux world and into a real, you know, interpersonal connection i also want to talk about what she said you know a lot of this patriarchy talk that we hear it's coming out of the university system out of these women's studies departments what kind of damage not just in terms of you know these these not very common um you know too common for for our good in our society but they're still not very common that you see these kinds of mass shootings um of young men but but the impact of denigrating men calling it the patriarchy the impact just on family formation. I mean, there aren't men are as she as she wrote in her very incredible book. A lot of men go, you know what? I'm out. I'm not going to get married. I'm not going to. I'm not going to. You know, lead this family. I'm not going to. I'm. I'm going to make a baby and leave. And then, then there's the spiraling effect of of what happens afterwards. You get lots of. Uh, Shauna, you've I've talked you know often about how many grown adults we know who were raised without their father in the home and they're still so angry and so hurt about that. Um, so these have massive implications and, and repercussions for our culture when we denigrate men, when we don't encourage them to rise up and lead their lives and lead their families and lead their children. Well, this is, and this isn't men versus woman, because if you're a woman, you, you would that. say, well, one, do I want to be the one that is the go-getter the one that has the job, but also the one that bears the children, that gives birth to the children. No help. And I have a and I have a loser kind of husband who won't help me take care of the kids. So you do ev- you're going to do everything if you don't have an equal partner in this. You want both sexes to be strong and smart and contributing to the family. That's right. And if one if one side doesn't do it, but the male, it falls all on the on the woman. So and what it's are we so doing hard. as a culture to make and, these men? not want to step up and as she said they're checking out they're basically saying yeah if i get him if i do this I, i'm not valued i mean there's something it's so deep and you and i saw it sean i'm so glad you brought up that example the first time we thought our first child to go through you know a junior high i mean we've been, right. we've been doing this a long time with our all of our kids first one to go through a junior high graduation and we stood there in the back and we went there's 20 kids being you know honored for for their high academic achievement. 19 and 19 of them were girls. Were girls and one, one was a boy. And ever since that moment, I mean, that was a long time ago, you, you and were, I keep noticing these moments. It's were, like girl power and STEM for girls. What do you say? Well, if, 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 if that was a one-off, I get it. That's happening all over. And when does someone ever go, hey, this is a problem. Why? What are we doing that would give us 19 girls to one boy? Because if the opposite happened, it was 19 boys and one girl. Everyone would lose their mind. And maybe We've at done, one point it was like that, it Sean. Have, and, and, and it probably was. And you want to get to a point of balance to go, hey, we want to make sure we have a chance to lift girls up and make sure we're, if we're teaching in a way that doesn't speak to girls, we need to change the way we're doing it so we are reaching girls, and which was a good thing. But what, what we've done is we've said, we are now going to just exclude boys and now just teach to girls. And the flip has happened. Um, where we're, where we're, these, we're leaving these boys behind. And again, this was, this was intentional. But the, this but was the, a conscious yes. societal scholastic decision that was made to make this change. And it, it happened over a long time. It could have been, it could have been well-intentioned. We want to lift up girls, but the, but, but part of it too, Sean, is a lot of this gender crap that we're getting. I agree. Because 
boys and girls are different, just as you brought up with the doctor during the podcast. They learn differently. Um, girls, you know, uh, learn a little bit more passively. Boys need to be engaged in, in debate. And, and and by the way, I was I like to be engaged in debate. So you not, did? It's Why? not <laughs> so not all not everyone's the same, and there's a mix. But if you're if you're if you, if the you refuse to teach the way boys are engaged and and excited about learning, and you only teach to girls, you miss boys. By the way, you miss a lot of girls who like to, who who also like to learn the way boys learn. If we have to rethink this whole thing. And a lot of this gender bender stuff that's going on right now is warping the way we're forming and raising children, especially in the in the school system. The the, the leftists destroy everything they Families. touch, and they're destroying young men with their with their brilliant ideas to to they want to remake everything. We're going to remake school. Reimagine. And remake you know, reimagine families, reimagine malehood, they're, reimagine. They're reimagining has absolutely destroyed. And do you it. feel like this is progress, Sean? I don't. Yeah. I look at what happened okay, this, this week. Is, that's not progress. It is. It is. It is. This is devastating to society. And and, and I, I want to make sure. I, I don't know that if the manager at the at the Wendy's where Ramos worked would have saved him. I don't know. That. I'm not saying that. I'm but what I'm I, I, I know you get what I'm saying. I, I know. I, I but I, what I wanted to say was that. If we want to help this culture, if you want to help your society, and I look at myself to go, if I have a neighbor, which I don't have a troubled neighbor boy, would I, would I have the time in my life to, I've got a lot of kids and I got a, you know, I've I got a lot of wife. Um, <laughs> I'm, I'm a I, lot to handle. Would I, would I take the <laughs> time to do it? And at first blush, I'd be like, I'm too busy. I can't. I mean, if I'm really honest with you, I, I, that'd be hard for me. But I, 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 I'm going to read. I talked to you about I, wanting to foster and you I'm going to rethink that with the foster. I do, I do think that whether it was another man in someone's life, they might not be a future shooter, but they, that relationship with, with a healthy man, again, the neighbor, the uncle, yes. the, the boss at work can actually lead them to a much better place in their lives and a much more productive member of society. That's the first point I want to make. But the second you, you touched on Good this, one, Rachel, John. is when you have nothing, when you're in such a dark place, there's, if you've been given one seed in your life, one thing in your life that you can rely on, you can be saved. And if you have any kind of relationship with God, if you know God, if you, if you, if you know about Jesus, if you know about this, you know, if you, if you know anything about the Bible, this is, this is a relationship that can save you. That can maybe may be able to pull you back, and here he he didn't have. I don't think he had many males in his life. We're going to find that out. That's what I'm suspecting from this story. Males in his life. He had his grandma, but he didn't know God either. I don't think, and that might have been a relationship, who you know with with Jesus, who went through a lot of horrific things himself. Right? He was he was shunned. He was excluded. Um. Mocked, belittled. He, he went through everything that uh, Ramos would have probably felt himself. And Ramos would have maybe had someone to go, there's someone who went through what I went through or what I'm going through. Um, that can save people. That can bring people back. And so, uh, again, I think this is a holistic conversation about this problem. But saying take away, take away guns from people doesn't fix the problem that Dr. Smith is talking about. No, it sure doesn't. Dr. Smith is talking about something. It's not going to fix it at all. Way deeper. It's so deep. Because it's so deep. I, I'll tell you what, if, if people feel this way, they'll make a Molotov cocktail. They'll use a car. They'll get a machete. They'll get a knife. I mean, you've seen those scenarios happen. If people are demented, they'll do demented things. Um, and so People are hurt and angry and abandoned. Those and are again, easy answers. Let's go, to, let's, go to, let's go deep and go, what have we changed? Why is this happening what do we have to do to fix that? Yeah, I just don't want this week to have happened in vain. I really, you know, yeah. and first of all, I, I, I suspect in Uvalde, Sean, that this weekend, uh, the churches are going to be full. Um, many, this is a, you know, over, you know, 80, 90% Hispanic community. Um, a lot of rosaries are going to be, be bad. A lot of people are going to be, you know, coming back to, to faith. And, and maybe um, this might be a moment where, more than Uvalde. Maybe the whole country is starting to ask these questions. Maybe this is that low point um, where we can finally go, okay, 
these political arguments aren't enough. We're going to have to dig deep and we're going to have to look at what we're doing um, as a culture with social media, with, with isolation, with lack of human connection, with broken families, with drug abuse, um, all of these things. Um, maybe finally we're going to get, get a little deeper. I think Dr. Smith did an amazing job of at least getting to the root of some of it um, and pointing us in a right direction. And, and, and that's, that's the only hope that I have. Um, it's, it's just horrific what happened. Well, I, I think, just can't imagine. I, told you I laid in bed the, the I, day after and the morning after. And I was like, I couldn't get out of this bed if I was one of those parents I, or, or grandparents or aunts or uncles. This happened to these little children. You know, some of them, Sean, had just, there, there were pictures that day of them with their parents because they had a little award ceremony. And a few of them had, had made the honor roll in their school and, and had gotten, you know, their mom had posted on Facebook, um, you know, that they had gotten this award, went home, and then were right. coming back to pick them up and, and found out this had happened. Um, it is just at one of the, you know, Border Patrol who had to come to the scene, uh, the daughter was a victim in the classroom. I mean, it is just unspeakable stuff. And yes, evil exists, but it, talking to the doctor, um, I have to believe that somewhere 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 we failed this young man and we're failing young men all across this country and you know just you were, you were just down in uh Ibalde yeah, last week and you were talking about the border um uh, 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 it's a good community good people oh hard-working yes good people, hard-working people people there. of faith who were um, by the way sean already um overwhelmed with the problem with the open border 60 miles away, they had a child minor detention center in their town. So people were passing through Uvalde on their way to the rest of the country. And this town was already overwhelmed from a law enforcement point of view um, and, and already suffering and, and, and so grateful, by the way, that Fox was there trying to tell their story. I interviewed the mayor. Um, Bill Malugin has been down there. Uh, they were so grateful to have some attention. Right now, there's a lot of press in Uvalde. There's a lot of media in Uvalde because there's a gun issue and the media is very interested in the gun issue. In a couple of weeks, they'll all leave and Uvalde will be left grieving still with this, with what just happened, but also still dealing with the, with the border situation, which is, which is straining their social services, straining their hospitals. Um, this is, this is a, a sign of, of so much that has gone wrong in our country. And, and, and this, this is a human conversation we're having but just I'm gonna, I'm gonna divert just just for a second because there's been a lot of conversation about guns and gun control when you spoke to the mayor of Uvalde, i think yes heard you say this on tv or you told John me over a cup of coffee he said if you let your kids outside to play they don't go by themselves you go out with them and if you go out everybody's got a gun he said because it's he so said violent everyone and, in Uvalde. he said most everybody packed he, most everybody most is has a gun and that's if the they, kind of, that's the kind of society they, have to they live didn't in used to be like that. And, and when they would let their kids out to play, you know, they generally would be with their kids and, 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 and a lot of them having, you know, a, a, a firearm with them because there were so many, you know, cartels and, and just people they don't know coming, coming through their ranches, coming through their backyards of their homes. Um, there's a lot of bailouts in that community, you know, um, high speed yeah. chases that end up killing people who happen to be in the way so this community was already very strained so sad that this happened um but all i can say again john is i just pray i pray i pray that some good will come out of this um that that our country will have a spiritual revival that we will have conversations about what, how we're treating young men and how we're valuing them and what we're doing to uplift them and especially what we're doing to reach out to those who are falling through the cracks you be know grateful. our son jack he called his siblings to say I just want you all to hug each other from me because I mean he just felt so horrible. He felt so horrible about what had happened, and it made yeah. and, I, and it makes all of us think that way. We need to we need to hug each other. We need to love each other. We need to realize that the answers are not going to come from Washington. Um, they're not going to come from the White House. Not going to come from the House floor. They're going to come from our family. That's true. And our community. Listen, this is this has been a harder kitchen table conversation than a lot of them sometimes um, you have to have uh, those tough conversations at the kitchen table that we that we had it so i want to thank you all for for joining us um at the kitchen table yeah all right 
Well, thank you. I want to thank Dr. Smith again for joining us. What great insight she had. Um, and if you've enjoyed the conversation, I know we did. Um, we learned a lot. Definitely let us know. Subscribe, rate, and review this podcast at foxnewspodcast.com or wherever you download podcasts. We hope to see you around the kitchen table next week. By the way, we're going to have a happier subject. We're going to break down This Is Us for next week. Are we? Are, we're going to break it down because you so, and I love This Is Us. It, it, by do. the way, we're, the finale was wait, this wait. week. We're not finished yet. We're not, we're not oh, finished yet. Here's what we do. We we're going to finish it. We tease episodes that we're going to do that we don't do, though. So no, let's, we're going to do This Is Us. <laughs> Even if we have another topic, It is. we're going to break down okay. This Is Us. We love family. That's been an I'm awesome a, family show. We love it. Um, I'm a crier. I'll he's cry. a crier. We're going we're gonna to have to finish. We have like what, show. like two or three more episodes left before the finale. The rest of it, finish the finale. Um, we're going to finish it up and we're going to break it down because I think it's a, it's an awesome show. Oh, yes. And um, we're going to next gonna, week. At the kitchen table. Next week, join us Later. for that. Bye, Bye-bye. everybody. The Will Kane Show is now dropping five episodes a week. Join Fox and Friends weekend host Will Kane as he tackles the latest headlines from his unique perspective, along with thought-provoking interviews with leading figures and live calls from viewers and listeners. Listen wherever you download your favorite podcasts.